Section 3 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott, 1754 to 1829. Section 3. The story of Beder, Prince of Persia, and Jehanara, Princess of Samandal, or Samander. Part 3. The sea-king was not long in arriving at his palace with the king of Persia, whom he immediately carried to the queen's apartments and presented to her. The king of Persia kissed the queen his grandmother's hands, and she embraced him with great demonstrations of joy. "'I do not ask you how you do,' said she. "'I see you are very well, and am rejoiced at it. But I desire to know how my daughter, your mother, Queen Gulnar, does.' The king of Persia took great care not to let her know that he had come away without taking leave of her. On the contrary, he told her the queen his mother was in perfect health, and had enjoined him to pay her duty to her. The queen then presented him to the princesses, and while he was in conversation with them, she left him, and went with King Salah into a closet, who told her how the king of Persia was fallen in love with the princess Jehanara, upon the bare relation of her beauty, and contrary to his intention, that he had, against his own wishes, brought him along with him, and that he was going to concert measures to procure the princess for him in marriage. Although King Salah was, to do him justice, perfectly innocent of the king of Persia's passion, yet the queen could hardly forgive his indiscretion in mentioning the princess Jehanara before him. "'Your imprudence is not to be forgiven,' said she. "'Can you think that the king of Samandal, whose character is so well known, will have greater consideration for you than the many other kings to whom he has refused his daughter with such evident contempt. Would you have him send you away with the same confusion? Madam, replied King Salah, I have already told you it was contrary to my intention that the king my nephew heard what I related of the beauty of the princess to the queen my sister. The fault is committed, and we must consider what a violent passion he has for this princess, and that he will die with grief and affliction if we do not speedily obtain her for him. For my part, I shall omit nothing that can contribute to effect their union. Since I was, though innocently, the cause of the malady, I will do all I can to remedy it. I hope, madam, you will approve of my resolution to go myself and wait on the king of Samandal with a rich present of precious stones, and demand the princess his daughter of him for the king of Persia. I have some reason to believe he will not refuse, but will be pleased with an alliance with one of the greatest potentates of the earth. It were to have been wished, replied the queen, that we had not been under a necessity of making this demand, since the success of our attempt is not so certain as we could desire. But since my grandson's peace and content depend upon it, I freely give my consent. But above all, I charge you, since you well know the humour of the King of Samandal, that you take care to speak to him with due respect, 
and in a manner that cannot possibly offend him. The queen prepared the present herself, composing it of diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and strings of pearl, all which she put into a rich box. Next morning, King Salah took leave of Her Majesty and the King of Persia, and departed with a chosen and small troop of officers and attendants. He soon arrived at the kingdom and the palace of the King of Samandal, who delayed not to give him audience. He rose from his throne as soon as he perceived him, and King Salah, forgetting his character for some moments, knowing whom he had to deal with, prostrated himself at his feet, wishing him the accomplishment of all his desires. The King of Samandal stooped to raise him, and after he had placed him on his left hand, told him he was welcome, and asked him if there was anything he could do to serve him. "'Sir,' answered King Salah, "'though I should have no other motive than that of paying my respects to the most potent, most prudent, and most valiant prince in the world, feeble would be my language to express how much I honour your majesty. Could you penetrate into my inmost soul, you would be convinced of the great veneration I have for you, and of my ardent desire to testify my attachment.' Having spoken these words, he took the box of jewels from one of his servants, and having opened it, presented it to the king, imploring him to accept of it for his sake. "'Prince,' replied the king of Samandal, "'you would not make me such a present unless you had a request proportionable to it to propose. If there be anything in my power to grant, you may freely command me, and I shall feel the greatest pleasure in complying with your wishes.' Speak, and tell me frankly, wherein I can serve you. I must own ingenuously, replied King Salah, I have a boon to ask of your majesty, and I shall take care to ask nothing but what is in your power to bestow. The thing depends so absolutely on yourself, that it would be to no purpose to ask it of anyone else. I ask it then with all possible earnestness, and I beg of you not to refuse me. If it be so, replied the king of Samandal, you have nothing to do but acquaint me what it is, and you shall see after what manner I can oblige when it is in my power. Sir, said King Salah, after the confidence with which your majesty has been pleased to inspire me, I will not dissemble any longer, that I came to beg of you to honour our house with your alliance by the marriage of your daughter, and to strengthen the good understanding that has so long subsisted between our two crowns. At these words, the king of Samandal burst into a loud laugh, falling back in his throne against a cushion that supported him, and with an imperious and scornful air said, King Salah, I have always hitherto thought you a prince of great wisdom and prudence, but what you say convinces me I was mistaken. Tell me, I beseech you, where was your wit or discretion when you formed to yourself such a chimera as you have proposed to me? Could you conceive a thought of aspiring in marriage to a princess, the daughter of so powerful a monarch as myself? You ought to have considered the great distance between us, and not run the risk of losing, in a moment, the esteem I always had for you. King Salah was hurt at this affronting answer, and could scarcely restrain his resentment. 
However, he replied with all possible moderation, God reward your majesty as you deserve. I have the honour to inform you, I do not demand the princess your daughter in marriage for myself. Had I done even that, your majesty and the princess, so far from being offended, should have thought it an honour done to both. Your majesty well knows I am one of the kings of the sea as well as yourself, that my ancestors yield not in antiquity to any royal house, and that the kingdom I inherit is no less potent and flourishing than your own. If your majesty had not interrupted me, you had soon understood that the favour I asked was not for myself, but for the young king of Persia, my nephew, whose power and grandeur, no less than his personal good qualities, cannot be unknown to you. Everybody acknowledges the Princess Jehaunara to be the most beautiful under ocean. But it is no less true that the King of Persia is the handsomest and most accomplished prince on earth. Thus, the favour that is asked, being likely to redound to the honour both of your majesty and the princess your daughter, you ought not to doubt that your consent to an alliance so equal will be unanimously approved in all the kingdoms of the sea. The princess is worthy of the king of Persia, and the king of Persia is no less worthy of her. The king of Samandal had not permitted King Salah to speak so long, but that rage deprived him of all power of speech. At length, however, he broke out into outrageous and insulting expressions, unworthy of a great king. Dog! cried he. Dare you talk to me after this manner, and so much as mention my daughter's name in my presence? Can you think the son of your sister Gulnar worthy to come in competition with my daughter? Who are you? Who was your father? Who is your sister? And who your nephew? Was not his father a dog, and the son of a dog, like you? Guards, seize the insolent wretch, and strike off his head. The few officers who were about the king of Samandal were immediately going to obey his orders, when King Salah, who was in the flower of his age, nimble and vigorous, got from them, before they could draw their sabres, and having reached the palace gate, found there a thousand men of his relations and friends, well armed and equipped, who were just arrived. The queen his mother, having considered the small number of attendants he had taken with him, and foreseeing the reception he would probably meet from the king of Samandal, had sent these troops to protect and defend him in case of danger, ordering them to make haste. Those of his relations who were at the head of this troop had reason to rejoice at their seasonal arrival, when they beheld him and his attendants running in great disorder, and pursued. "'Sire!' cried his friends, the moment he joined them. "'Who has insulted you? We are ready to revenge you. You need only command us.' King Salah related his case to them in few words, and putting himself at the head of a troop, while some seized the gates, he re-entered the palace." The few officers and guards who had pursued him, being soon dispersed, he forced the king of Samandal's apartment, who, being abandoned by his attendants, was soon seized. King Salah left sufficient guards to secure his person, and then went from apartment to apartment, to search after the princess Jehaunara. But she, on the first alarm, 
had together with her women sprung up to the surface of the sea and escaped to a desert island while this passed in the palace of the king of samandal those of king salah's attendants who had fled at the first menaces of that king put the queen mother into terrible consternation on relating the danger of her son king beder who was present at the time was the more concerned as he looked upon himself as the principal author of the mischief that might ensue therefore not caring to abide the queen's presence any longer whilst she was giving the orders necessary at that conjuncture he darted up from the bottom of the sea and not knowing how to find his way to the kingdom of persia happened to land on the island where the princess jehaunara had saved herself the prince not a little disturbed in mind seated himself under the shade of a large tree surrounded by others whilst he was endeavouring to recover himself he heard somebody talking but was too far off to understand what was said he arose and advanced softly towards the place whence the sound proceeded where among the branches he perceived a beauty that dazzled him doubtless said he within himself stopping and considering her with great attention this must be the princess jehaunara whom fear has obliged to abandon her father's palace or if it be not she no less deserves my love this said he came forward and discovering himself approached the princess with profound reverence madam said he i can never sufficiently thank heaven for the favour it has done me in presenting to my eyes so much beauty a greater happiness could not have befallen me than this opportunity to offer you my services i beseech you therefore madam to accept them it being impossible that a lady in this solitude should not want assistance true my lord replied jehaunara sorrowfully it is not a little extraordinary for a lady of my quality to be in this situation i am a princess daughter of the king of samandal and my name is jehaunara i was at ease in my father's palace in my apartment when suddenly i heard a dreadful noise news was immediately brought me that king salah i know not for what reason had forced the palace seized the king my father and murdered all the guards who made any resistance i had only time to save myself and escape hither from his violence at these words king beder began to be concerned that he had quitted his grandmother so hastily without staying to hear from her an explanation of the news that had been brought but he was on the other hand overjoyed to find that the king his uncle had rendered himself master of the king of samandal's person not doubting but he would consent to give up the princess for his liberty adorable princess continued he your concern is most just but it is easy to put an end both to that and your father's captivity you will agree with me when i shall tell you that i am beder king of persia and king salah is my uncle i assure you madam he has no design to seize the king your father's dominions his only intention is to obtain your father's consent that i may have the honour and happiness of being his son-in-law i had already given my heart to you upon the bare relation of your beauty and charms and now far from repenting i beg of you to accept it and to be assured that i will love you as long as i live 
I dare flatter myself you will not refuse this favour, but be ready to acknowledge that a king, who quitted his dominions purely on your account, deserves some acknowledgment. Permit me then, beauteous princess, to have the honour to present you to the king my uncle, and the king your father shall no sooner have consented to our marriage than King Salah will leave him sovereign of his dominions as before. This declaration of King Beder did not produce the effect he expected. It is true, the princess no sooner saw him than his person, air, and the grace wherewith he accosted her, led her to regard him as one who would not have been disagreeable to her. But when she heard that he had been the occasion of all the ill-treatment her father had suffered, of the grief and fright she had endured, and especially the necessity she was reduced to of flying her country, she looked upon him as an enemy with whom she ought to have no connection. Whatever inclination she might have to agree to the marriage which he desired, she determined never to consent, reflecting that one of the reasons her father might have against this match might be that King Beder was the son of a king of the earth. She would not, however, let King Beder know her resentment, but sought an occasion to deliver herself dexterously out of his hands, and seeming in the meantime to have a great kindness for him. "'Are you then,' said she, with all possible civility, "'son of Queen Gilnar, so famous for her wit and beauty? "'I am glad of it, and rejoice that you are the son of so worthy a mother.' The king, my father, was much in the wrong, so strongly to oppose our union. Had he but seen you, he must have consented to make us happy. Saying so, she reached forth her hand to him, as a token of friendship. King Beder, believing himself arrived at the very pinnacle of happiness, held forth his hand, and taking that of the princess, stooped down to kiss it, when she, pushing him back, and spitting in his face, for want of water to throw at him, said, Wretch, quit the form of a man, and take that of a white bird with a red bill and feet. Upon her pronouncing these words, King Beder was immediately changed into a bird of that description, to his great surprise and mortification. Take him, said she to one of her women, and carry him to the dry island. This island was only one frightful rock, where not a drop of water was to be had. The waiting woman took the bird, but in executing her princess's orders, had compassion on King Beder's misfortune. It would be great pity, said she to herself, to let a prince so worthy to live die of hunger and thirst. The princess, who is good and gentle, will, it may be, repent of this cruel order when she comes to herself. It were better that I carried him to a place where he may die a natural death. She accordingly carried him to a well-frequented island, and left him in a charming plain, planted with all sorts of fruit trees, and watered by diverse rivulets. Let us return to King Salah. After he had sought for the Princess Jehaunara to no purpose, he caused the King of Samandal to be shut up in his own palace, under a strong guard, and having given the necessary orders for governing the kingdom in his absence, returned to give the queen his mother an account of what he had done. The first question he asked on his arrival was, 
where was the king his nephew and he learned with great surprise and vexation that he could not be found news being brought me said the queen of the danger you were in at the palace of the king of samandal while i was giving orders to send you other troops to avenge you he disappeared he must have been alarmed at hearing of your being in such great danger and did not think himself in sufficient security with us this news exceedingly afflicted king salah who now repented being so easily wrought upon by king beder as to carry him away with him without his mother's consent he sent everywhere to seek for him but could hear no tidings of him and instead of the joy he felt at having carried on so far the marriage which he looked upon as his own work his grief for this accident was more mortifying while he was under this suspense about his nephew he left his kingdom under the administration of his mother and went to govern that of the king of samandal whom he continued to keep with great vigilance though with all due respect to his character the same day that king salah returned to the kingdom of samandal queen gulnar arrived at the court of the queen her mother the princess was not at all surprised to find her son did not return the same day he set out it being not uncommon for him to go farther than he proposed in the heat of the chase but when she saw he neither returned the next day nor the day after she began to be alarmed as may easily be imagined from her affection for him this alarm was augmented when the officers who had accompanied the king and were obliged to return after they had for a long time sought in vain both for him and his uncle came and told her majesty they must of necessity have come to some harm or must be together in some place which they could not guess since notwithstanding all the diligence they had used they could hear no tidings of them their horses indeed they had found but as for their persons they knew not where to look for them the queen hearing this had resolved to dissemble and conceal her affliction bidding the officers to search once more with their utmost diligence but in the meantime she plunged into the sea to satisfy herself as to the suspicion she had entertained that king salah must have carried his nephew with him this great queen would have been more affectionately received by her mother had she not on first seeing her guessed the occasion of her coming daughter said she i plainly perceive you are not come hither to visit me you come to inquire after the king your son and the only news i can tell you will augment both your grief and mine i no sooner saw him arrive in our territories than i rejoiced yet when i came to understand he had come away without your knowledge i began to participate with you the concern you must needs suffer then she related to her with what zeal king salah went to demand the princess jehaunara in marriage for king beder and what had happened till her son disappeared i have sought diligently after him added she and the king my son who is but just gone to govern the kingdom of samandal has done all that lay in his power all our endeavours have hitherto proved unsuccessful but we must hope nevertheless to see him again perhaps when we least expect it queen gulnar was not satisfied with this hope she looked upon the king her son as lost and lamented him bitterly 
laying all the blame on the king his uncle the queen her mother made her consider the necessity of not yielding too much to grief the king your brother said she ought not it is true to have talked to you so inconsiderately about that marriage nor ever have consented to carry away the king my grandson without acquainting you yet since it is not certain that the king of persia is absolutely lost you ought to neglect nothing to preserve his kingdom for him lose then no more time but return to your capital your presence there will be necessary and it will not be difficult for you to preserve the public peace by causing it to be published that the king of persia was gone to visit his grandmother this was sufficient to oblige queen gulnar to yield she took leave of the queen her mother and returned to the palace of the capital of persia before she had been missed she immediately dispatched persons to recall the officers she had sent after the king to tell them that she knew where his majesty was and that they should soon see him again she also caused the same report to be spread throughout the city and governed in concert with the prime minister and council with the same tranquillity as if the king had been present to return to king beder whom the princess jehaunara's waiting-woman had left in the island before mentioned that monarch was not a little surprised when he found himself alone and under the form of a bird he esteemed himself yet more unhappy in that he knew not where he was or in what part of the world the kingdom of persia lay but if he had known and had tried the force of his wings to hazard the traversing so many extensive watery regions and had reached it what could he have gained but the mortification to continue still in the same form and not to be accounted even a man much less acknowledged king of persia he was forced to remain where he was live upon such food as birds of his kind were wont to have and to pass the night on a tree a few days afterwards a peasant skilled in taking birds with nets chanced to come to the place where he was when perceiving so fine a bird the like of which he had never seen though he had followed that employment for a long while he began greatly to rejoice he employed all his art to ensnare him and at length succeeded and took him overjoyed at so great a prize which he looked upon to be of more worth than all the other birds he commonly took he shut it up in a cage and carried it to the city as soon as he was come into the market a citizen stopped him and asked him how much he would have for his bird instead of answering the peasant demanded of the citizen what he would do with him in case he should buy him what wouldst thou have me to do with him answered the citizen but roast and eat him if that be the case replied the peasant i suppose you would think me very well paid if you should give me the smallest piece of silver for him i set a much higher value upon him and you should not have him for a piece of gold although i am advanced in years i never saw such a bird in my life i intend to make a present of him to the king he will know its value better than you without staying any longer in the market the peasant went directly to the palace and placed himself exactly before the king's apartment his majesty being at a window where he could see all that passed in the court no sooner cast his eyes on this beautiful bird 
than he sent an officer of his eunuchs to buy it for him. The officer, going to the peasant, demanded of him how much he would have for the bird. "'If it be for his majesty,' answered the peasant, "'I humbly beg of him to accept it of me as a present, and I desire you to carry it to him.' The officer took the bird to the king, who found it so great a rarity that he ordered the same officer to take ten pieces of gold and carry them to the peasant, who departed very well satisfied. The king ordered the bird to be put into a magnificent cage, and gave it corn and water in rich vessels. The king, being then ready to mount on horseback to go a-hunting, had not time to consider the bird, therefore had it brought to him as soon as he returned. The officer brought the cage, and the king, that he might the better view the bird, took it out himself, and perched it upon his hand. Looking earnestly upon it, he demanded of the officer if he had seen it eat. Sir, replied the officer, your majesty may observe the vessel with his food is still full, and I have not observed that he has touched any of it. Then the king ordered him meat of diverse sorts, that he might take what he liked best. The table being spread, and dinner served up just as the king had given these orders, as soon as the dishes were placed, the bird, clapping his wings, leaped off the king's hand, flew upon the table, where he began to peck the bread and victuals, sometimes on one plate and sometimes on another. The king was so surprised that he immediately sent the officer of the eunuchs to desire the queen to come and see this wonder. The officer related it to her majesty, and she came forthwith. But she no sooner saw the bird than she covered her face with her veil, and would have retired. The king, surprised at her proceeding, as there was none present in the chamber but the eunuchs and the women who attended her, asked the reason of her conduct. "'Sir,' answered the queen, "'your majesty will no longer be surprised when you understand that this is not, as you suppose, a bird, but a man.' "'Madam,' said the king, more astonished than before, "'you mean to banter me, but you shall never persuade me that a bird can be a man.' "'Sir,' replied the queen, "'far be it from me to banter your majesty. "'Nothing is more certain than what I have had the honour to tell you. "'I can assure your majesty it is the king of Persia, named Beder, "'son of the celebrated Gulnar, princess of one of the largest kingdoms of the sea, "'nephew of Salah, king of that kingdom, "'and grandson of Queen Farash, mother of Gulnar and Salah. "'And it was the princess Jehaunara, daughter of the king of Samandal, who thus metamorphosed him into a bird. That the king might no longer doubt of what she affirmed, she told him the whole story, and stated that the princess Jehaunara had thus revenged herself for the ill-treatment which King Salah had used towards the king of Samandal, her father. The king had the less difficulty to believe this assertion of the queen, as he knew her to be a skilful magician and as she knew everything which passed in every part of the world, he was always by her means timely informed of the designs of the kings his neighbours against him, and prevented them. His majesty had compassion on the king of Persia, and earnestly besought his queen to break the enchantment, that he might return to his own form. The queen consented with great willingness. "'Sir,' said she to the king, "'be pleased to take the bird into your closet,' 
and I will show you a king worthy of the consideration you have for him. The bird, which had ceased eating and attended to what the king and queen said, would not give his majesty the trouble to take him, but hopped into the closet before him, and the queen came in soon after, with a vessel full of water in her hand. She pronounced over the vessel some words unknown to the king, till the water began to boil. When she took some of it in her hand, and sprinkling a little upon the bird, said, By virtue of these holy and mysterious words I have just pronounced, and in the name of the Creator of heaven and earth, who raises the dead and supports the universe, quit the form of a bird, and reassume that received from thy Creator. The words were scarcely out of the queen's mouth, when, instead of a bird, the king saw a young prince of good shape, air, and mien. King Beder immediately fell on his knees and thanked God for the favour that had been bestowed upon him. He then took the king's hand, who helped him up, and kissed it in token of gratitude. But the king embraced him with great joy, and testified to him the satisfaction he had to see him. He would then have made his acknowledgments to the queen, but she was already retired to her apartment. The king made him sit at the table with him, and prayed him to relate how the princess Jehaunara could have the inhumanity to transform into a bird so amiable a prince, and the king of Persia immediately satisfied him. When he had ended, the king, provoked at the proceeding of the princess, could not help blaming her. It was commendable, said he, in the princess of Samandal, not to be insensible of the king her father's ill-treatment, but to carry her vengeance so far, and especially against a prince who was not culpable, was what she could never be able to justify herself for. But let us have done with this subject, and tell me, I beseech you, in what I can farther serve you. Sir, answered King Beder, my obligation to your majesty is so great that I ought to remain with you all my life to testify my gratitude. But since your majesty sets no limits to your generosity, I entreat you to grant me one of your ships to transport me to Persia, where I fear my absence, which has been but too long, may have occasioned some disorder, and that the queen my mother, from whom I concealed my departure, may be distracted under the certainty whether I am alive or dead. The king readily granted what he desired, and immediately gave orders for equipping one of his largest ships, and the best sailors in his numerous fleet. The ship was soon furnished with all its complement of men, provisions, and ammunition, and as soon as the wind became fair, King Beder embarked, after having taken leave of the king, and thanked him for all his favours. The ship sailed before the wind for ten days together, but on the eleventh the wind changed, and there followed a furious tempest. The ship was not only driven out of its course, but so violently tossed that all its masts were brought by the board, and driving along at the pleasure of the wind, it at length struck against a rock and bulged. The greatest part of the people were instantly drowned. Some few were saved by swimming, and others by getting on pieces of the wreck. King Beder was among the latter, when, after having been tossed about for some time by the waves and torrents, under great uncertainty of his fate, he at length perceived himself near the shore, and not far from a city that seemed of great extent. 
he exerted his remaining strength to reach the land, and was at length so fortunate as to be able to touch the ground with his feet. He immediately abandoned his piece of wood, which had been of such great service to him, but when he came pretty near the shore, was greatly surprised to see horses, camels, mules, asses, oxen, cows, bulls, and other animals crowding to the shore, and putting themselves in a posture to oppose his landing. He had the utmost difficulty to conquer their obstinacy and force his way, but at length he succeeded, and sheltered himself among the rocks till he had recovered his breath, and dried his clothes in the sun. When the prince advanced to enter the city, he met with the same opposition from these animals, who seemed to intend to make him forego his design, and give him to understand it was dangerous to proceed. King Beder, however, entered the city, and saw many fair and spacious streets, but was surprised to find no human beings. This made him think it was not without cause that so many animals had opposed his passage. Going forward, nevertheless, he observed diverse shops open, which gave him reason to believe the place was not so destitute of inhabitants as he imagined. He approached one of these shops, where several sorts of fruits were exposed for sale, and saluted very courteously an old man who was sitting within. The old man, who was busy about something, lifted up his head, and seeing a youth who had an appearance of grandeur in his air, started asked him whence he came, and what business had brought him there. King Beder satisfied him in a few words, and the old man farther asked him if he had met anybody on the road. "'You are the first person I have seen,' answered the king, "'and I cannot comprehend how so fine and large a city comes to be without inhabitants.' "'Come in, sir. Stay no longer upon the threshold,' replied the old man or peradventure some misfortune may happen to you. I will satisfy your curiosity at leisure, and give you a reason why it is necessary you should take this precaution. King Beder entered the shop, and sat down by the old man. The latter, who had received from him an account of his misfortunes, knew he must want nourishment, therefore immediately presented him what was necessary to recover his strength and although King Beder was very earnest to know why he had taken the precaution to make him enter the shop, he would nevertheless not be prevailed upon to tell him anything till he had done eating, for fear the sad things he had to relate might spoil his appetite. When he found he ate no longer, he said to him, You have great reason to thank God that you got hither without any accident. Alas, why? demanded King Beder, much surprised and alarmed. "'Because,' answered he, "'this city is the city of enchantments, "'and is governed by a queen "'who is not only one of the finest of her sex, "'but likewise a notorious and dangerous sorceress. "'You will be convinced of this,' added he, "'when you know that these horses, mules, "'and other animals which you have seen "'are so many men like ourselves, "'whom she has transformed by her diabolical art. "'And when young men like you enter the city,' She has persons planted to stop and bring them, either by fair means or force, before her. She receives them in the most obliging manner, caresses them, regales them, lodges them magnificently, and gives them so many reasons to believe that she loves them, that she never fails of success. But she does not suffer them long to enjoy this happiness. 
there is not one of them but she has transformed into some animal or bird at the end of forty days. You told me all these animals presented themselves to oppose your landing and hinder you entering the city. This was the only way in which they could make you comprehend the danger you were going to expose yourself to, and they did all in their power to prevent you. This account exceedingly afflicted the young king of Persia. Alas, cried he, to what extremities has my ill fortune reduced me? I am hardly freed from one enchantment, which I look back upon with horror, but I find myself exposed to another much more terrible. This gave him occasion to relate his story to the old man more at length, and to acquaint him of his birth, quality, his passion for the princess of Samandal, and her cruelty in changing him into a bird the very moment he had seen her and declared his love to her. When the prince came to speak of his good fortune in finding a queen who broke the enchantment, the old man, to encourage him, said, Notwithstanding all I have told you of the magic queen is true, that ought not to give you the least disquiet, since I am generally beloved throughout the city, and am not unknown to the queen herself, who has much respect for me. Therefore, it was your peculiar good fortune which led you to address yourself to me rather than to anyone else. You are secure in my house, where I advise you to continue, if you think fit, and provided you do not stray from hence, I dare assure you, you will have no just cause to complain of my insincerity. King Beder thanked the old man for his kind reception and the protection he was pleased so readily to afford him. He sat down at the entrance of the shop, where he no sooner appeared, but his youth and good person attracted the eyes of all who passed that way. Many stopped and complimented the old man on his having acquired so fine a slave, as they imagined the king to be, and they were the more surprised as they could not comprehend how so beautiful a youth could escape the queen's knowledge. "'Believe not,' said the old man, "'this is a slave.' You all know that I am not rich enough, nor of rank, to have one of this consequence. He is my nephew, son of a brother of mine who is dead, and as I had no children of my own, I sent for him to keep me company. They congratulated his good fortune in having so fine a young man for his relation, but could not help telling him they feared the queen would take him from him. You know her well, said they to him, and you cannot be ignorant of the danger to which you are exposed, after all the examples you have seen. How grieved would you be if she should serve him, as she has done so many others whom we knew? I am obliged to you, replied the old man, for your good will towards me, and I heartily thank you for the care you seem to take of my interest, but I shall never entertain the least thought that the queen will do me any injury after all the kindness she has professed for me. In case she happens to hear of this young man, and speaks to me about him, I doubt not she will cease to think of him as soon as she comes to know he is my nephew. The old man was exceedingly glad to hear the commendations they bestowed on the young king of Persia. He was as much affected with them as if he had been his own son, and he conceived a kindness for him which augmented every day during the stay he made with him. End of section 3